Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Another very special, very important, very, very regular, very foolish and very strawmanish Motley Fool Money mailbag. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer. And with me, the Managing Director, Founder and well, manager extraordinaire of strawman.com, Andrew Page. How are you, buddy? G'day, Scott. I'm very well. I'm very well. Good. Yourself? I'm, I'm exceptionally... If I was any better, I'd be twins, I say to you regularly, mate. <laughs> life, is, life is good. Life is good. And if I had a dollar for every time you said that, <laughs> I'd be a rich man. If you had a Bitcoin, no. Uh, yes, exactly. No, that's, that's important. Uh, do you reckon Bitcoin ever gets talked about in terms of Bitcoin? Is, is, is the arrival of Bitcoin when it finally stops being compared to dollars, do you reckon? Because you're supposed to be a currency, right? It's like when we say Australian dollars, we don't go, I like a can of Coke. That's that's a dollar Australian. Well, it's actually really 75 cents American. We never really yeah. do that, right? Bitcoins, you can't really say, oh, I'll, I'll, work, I'll go to work for four Bitcoins and I'll buy a can of Coke for half a Bitcoin. We never do quite that. Is that is that no. when it finally gets to acceptance, do you reckon? Or doesn't we know? I don't, think, we that, I don't think that's the crypto that does it. I, I think it's more I, I think it's more seen as a store of value than any trend. Right. It's got it's got too many shortcomings from a purely uh, transactional everyday economic kind of thing. So yeah. no, I don't I don't think it will. So you don't buy the currency wrong. thing at all? Not no I I, I no. No. I, I I think there will be use ca- I mean, Oh man, you, why are you drawing me into this conversation right <laughs> off the bat? Because you used to have a dollar for every time, and then my mind's went from there. Oh, uh, oh, uh, well, really not my it, fault. It, I, I look, the, the future is is too <laughs> unknowable to know. I True. wouldn't be surprised if there is some. I, I, I put it this way: I think there's a very high chance that blockchain technology is is used in a much wider context than it is today. And I th- even look, even central banks are talking about having uh, uh, doing it themselves so bitcoin no but some form of it yes do you know what so tangent on a tangent i um so i got we got well so i have a facebook page as our our listeners so scott phillips money and some i think i've just said this a couple of weeks ago some mongrels copied my facebook page entirely to try and scam people you know you've made it i think i'd i'd I'd, I'd invert that and would say well done that's awesome like you know you've I, no one's no one's copying me, mate. So there's no value to be gained in pretending to well, be. Well, I think me. the other thing is. So. I think the other thing is no, no one no one also thinks I genuinely would actually want to promote Bitcoin. So they're, they're pretty they're pretty comfortable. They see me promoting Bitcoin on on Facebook must be a scam. But they're literally <laughs> commenting on my own posts, right? So it looks like me commenting on my own post. They use my picture. They use my back background on the Facebook page, which basically says, "Hey, yeah. hey, yeah, get get free Bitcoin. You know, do this, do that, whatever." Um, so I'm getting scammed on it. Anyway, the irony was, of course, I shared that on, on Facebook and Twitter. Just say to people, hey, look, just so you know, I'm being scammed. Don't don't fall for the scam. You know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And when I replied completely correctly, this would actually be a perfect use case for blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> the whole yeah. the whole proof of concept, right? The whole proof that I'm actually not... So for all, yeah. for all, of, my, for all of my comments about block, Bitcoin, and I'm, I actually agree with you on blockchain, by the way. It was just a really, really funny kind of, you know, one of those things where actually blockchain, where you could actually prove who the person was, were they really the Scott Phillips or not that I'm the Scott Phillips, you know yeah. what I mean? Whether yeah. the, the yeah. Scott Phillips we're talking about or not, it would have actually answered, the blockchain would have actually been really useful to say, no, 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 that's a trusted account. The Scott Phillips account that posted the whole original article, that's the real Scott Phillips. This other one is, is, a, is a non-trusted, non-blockchain verified account. It actually would have some use there. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, look, that's the whole idea behind NFTs, non-fungible yeah. tokens, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, it is, I've said before, this is a genuinely new invention for humankind, mm-hmm. but a trustless system, which doesn't mean you can't trust it, which means yeah. trust isn't yeah. required yeah. in any kind. I, I, it, it's, it's significant. How it's going to play out, wow. I mean, we're, such, we're at the dawn here. It, it, it's going to be fascinating. And my aim is never to talk about NFTs on this podcast, mate. Ever. <sighs> Oh really? Oh, I, I I don't know. I think it's I think it's got merit. Write in to us, dear listeners, and let us know if we should talk about NFTs. Let's, let's and I will ignore way. for the very first time deliberately <laughs> a mailbag. No, okay. All right. Speaking of speaking of writing, let's 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 move away from it. How far have we got in? Four and a half minutes, mate. On a tangent. That's not that bad. That was a terrible introduction. Yes. All right. <laughs> Chris from Arpit, who says, "Hey Scott, love the podcast and enjoying Andrew's new voice and takes." I assume he means the new much. voice being you rather than your new voice. You've got a, you haven't got a new voice, have you? you? Haven't. No, I can try out a new voice, but no, it's just the same old voice, same <laughs> like old it. ramblings. He's enjoying you. He's enjoying you being on the podcast, mate. So well done. Arpa's cool. got a question. He says, but he's not sure if it's too niche for the podcast. He doesn't know us very well. We're all about niches and tangents. He says, <laughs> a "I'm a time niche. poor investor who uses ETFs mostly, but I take long term bets on thematic ETFs, e.g., the Nasdaq 100 ETF and the Beta Shares Asian Tigers ETF." I am interested, he says, in some other thematics. For example, cloud computing. And then he says CLDD. I have no idea what that actually is. Is that a thing? Maybe that's the name of it. Is that the ticker of the cloud computing ETF? It probably is. Let's assume it's um, that. I'm not sure. I'm not familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know either. <laughs> but I'm struggling, he says, to figure out how much overlap that has with my existing ETFs. I do try and go manually look at the holdings, but in a diversified portfolio of core ETFs and then side thematics, it gets hard to track exactly how much exposure I already have to certain areas. And therefore, if I should just reinvest my existing ETFs, reinvest in, sorry, my existing ETFs versus trying to add new positions. Uh, are you guys or colleagues at The Fool aware of tools or websites that can submit your holdings and ETFs and show you exposure by sector, etc., without manually calculating this for each position? He says, hmm. just curious mostly, I might be dreaming for a non-existing convenience. And that's from Arpit. I know the answer to this one. Unusually uh, for I, me. I, I do you know don't either. I don't. Look, if, if there no, is I do. such a... Uh, oh, you do know the answer? Yeah, I do know the answer. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Usually for oh, me. Oh, I sorry, sorry, no. Yeah, so no, if well, you're a Morningstar yes. premium customer, and they're a competitor of ours, but that's okay, uh, they have a thing called a ETF X-ray tool which actually does exactly that. You put the ETF side oh, by side go. and it kind of does some of the basic maths for you. I don't know if it covers every single ETF, to be fair. I don't know what rules or, or criteria it, it applies to make sure you add it in. So they do have they do have the tool. I will say more broadly, Matt, I'll get your thoughts on this too. Um, I wouldn't be overly concerned about trying to do that unless you're really, really getting deep into overlapping ETFs because the reality is that unless you're buying kind of two tech ETFs that happen to almost be the same somehow, and I can't imagine what that would be. If you're going to buy the ASX 200 and the ASX 300 ETFs, for example, right, you're going mm. to have a massive overlap. And so that's reasonable. By the same token, because they are averages of averages, if I was even to buy an ASX 200 and an ASX 300 ETF, I would just end up with slightly lower proportion of ASX 200 in my portfolio. Because you're, you, you know, the, the, adding them together, if I have $2 in one ETF or dollar in each of those two ETFs, I'm going to have roughly the same proportion of ASX 200 companies and a smattering of the other stuff. And so I would say to Arpit, I can't tell you what to do, Arpit. And, and again, if you want to do it just for your own curiosity or feel better about it or feel comfortable in all means, go for it. But generally speaking, if you've got, I don't know, an Asian Tigers ETF and an ASEC ETF, and maybe you've hopefully got something broader like an S&P 500 or a World or an ASX, if you're adding cloud computing, yeah, you'd be doubling up on a dozen companies in the NASDAQ ETF. But the reality is if you didn't do it, you bought the NASDAQ ETF anyway, you'd be doubling up on those companies regardless. 
So it's kind of one of those things where it's worth thinking through the logic of the of the allocation because are you doubling your holding? Kind of. But again, if you had a dollar of an, an NASDAQ ETF and you put another dollar in, you double your holdings in those in those companies, right? If you put mm-hmm. the dollar in the cloud computing ETF instead, yeah, you're getting a slightly higher exposure to those companies that are doubled up, but you kind of want that because that's why you're putting your dollar in the cloud computing ETF anyway rather than in the NASDAQ one. So kind of to some degree, if you kind of think through the implication of the maths, because you're buying proportions each time, unless you're going to buy something entirely different and diversify further that way, I think just knowing that you're increasing your weighting, you probably already have some, this increases your weighting slightly. I think that's probably all you roughly need to know. What, what do you think, mate? Am I, am I right or wrong on that one? Yeah, no, I agree. I actually really applaud the sort of going to a deeper level. Mm. We, we, we often talk about like, look, this stuff's not hard. Like if you do nothing mm. other than buy a very broad-based ETF and that's all you buy and you contribute to that regularly, you're just going to do really, really, really well. Yeah. Um, people like you and me, and I would suggest most listeners of this podcast like to dabble in stocks directly because, you know, when you get it right, the rewards can be can be really meaningful. So it's, yep. it's, it's nothing wrong with sort of pushing into a more active direction to use that term. Um, but I do kind of get to the point, I see this with a lot of ETF investors. It's kind of like for me, ETFs are really for the person who wants to be sort of hands off. And yeah, yes, right. nothing wrong with going for some different kind of thematics within that, that that's all fine. Mm. But once you start getting particular, and it sounds like ARPA's in this, this category, we start getting really uh, interested in a particular theme or sector. I tend to think just just cut to the chase, right? Go, go to the stocks themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, no, I'm not saying you know you have to only pick one or two and then go for that. But you know, mm-hmm. it's it, it's a bit of work, but it's very, I think, very worthwhile. You, is, is if you're really interested in the cloud computing space, take take some time to do some research on that sector. Find you know the ten most uh, interesting, yep. r- low risk, uh, high probability kind of bets in that space, and and then buy them directly rather than you know the downside of an ETF is it's too diverse if anything and and like so many things in finance and economy and economics there's always it's a two-sided coin diversification is brilliant you should always do it but it is entirely possible to have too much diversification Mm -hmm. in the sense that while diversification guarantees that you'll never lose all your money and that you'll get the average it also guarantees that you'll get the average in other words you're not going to you know you don't 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 buy one of these things thinking (laughs) i'm going to i'm going to average a 20 percent return over the long term because you won't and that's the compromise that that you take and and to a degree you want to take that to to some extent but too diversified with too many etfs it just kind of becomes look I, 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 as I say, I, I applaud the effort to be more active, but just just mm-hmm. jump straight to the straight to the stocks. I, I would say in, in that particular case, I think that's right, mate. The other thing I'm going to I'm going to sort of double down on that a little bit, but with a slightly different uh, lens, which is we talked the other week about uh, you know a, a, an oil trend or a lithium trend mm. or an airline mm. trend. The other thing I would just say is just be really careful that you don't say, "Hey, cloud computing is going to be big, therefore I should buy cloud computing companies." Like mm. in 1999, it was a mistake to say, hey, the internet's going to be big. I'm going to buy a whole lot mm. of internet companies at stupid valuations because mm. you were right about the internet. You just didn't make any money from almost anything other than Amazon, Microsoft, and I guess Yahoo for a little while. I mean, that was mm. you know that, that was the hard part. So even if you got the trend right, don't just buy cloud because cloud's going to be big. That's not enough. Um, mm. I'm not saying it won't be, by the way. I'm not saying it's a bad ETF. I'm just saying to your cloud point, is going to be big, about, by the way. Yeah, it's going to so be again? huge. Oh, exactly. It is going to yeah, be big. Yeah. 100%, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Um, but you know, buying the internet in 1999 wasn't a great idea. And I'm not saying we're not. Mm. I, I don't want to draw too clear a parallel. I'm not saying we're at that level here. I'm not saying cloud's a bad investment. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm just saying, as you said, almost different way. You're saying if you if you if you like it enough, have a look at the stocks. I'm saying if you like the trend enough, just make sure. 
either at stock level or at ETF level, you're making sure you know what you're buying. And there are the same criteria you would use when you're buying individual stocks, which is, hey, have these companies got a profitable future? Is there enough upside in this business? All the things you would normally say, just make sure you're getting that right as you go. Mm. Yep. Right, let's go to another other question from Lockie. I like this one from Lockie. I, it's been a while since I mentioned Kogan, Andrew, and I'm not doing a uh, drink. choice. Yeah, drink. exactly. So my apologies. Lockie asked this one, not me. He just says, and I like this, and he addresses me, but it was to me on my Twitter account, but he's asking you as well. Hey, Scott and Andrew, how much weight do you put behind customer experience when valuing a company? I had my mm. second experience with Kogan, which has made me question their value proposition. I love this question from Lockie Mouse. Well, let's not talk about COVID. So do We've I. done it enough. I, I mentioned it because we mentioned it in passing. But just as a general idea, the the whole, you know, Peter Lynch is all about scuttlebutt and, mm. you know, kind of work, the things you see, experience, know, hear, they can be really, really mm. valuable. On the other hand, there's businesses I never would have bought if I had to be a customer of them because I'm not a you know, multinational company in need of AI services. Um, mm. Lockie's not asking necessarily which one should you buy. He's just saying, look, I, I assume... <laughs> Basically, he's questioning the value proposition. I assume he's had a bad experience with Kogan. He's like, this kind of feels a bit crap. Uh, how much value should I put in my own experience? And, and kind of, mm. is it a warning sign that I had a bad experience or is it a case of just looking at the bigger picture? What would you say, mate? Oh, it's such a great question because obviously, I mean, those those kinds of signals are really valuable. If I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm dealing with a consumer-facing company and I've had personal experience and that experience has always been good, I can yep. probably infer from that that that's similarly true for a lot of other people and that's an advantage that they have. I'm, I'm, people will sometimes pay more or just make it their go-to when they know that they can trust in that experience. And I've, I've yeah. actually converted a lot onto Amazon in the last year. I use it more and more which is because partly habit but partly the, you know, the, the compounding effect of just having a number of good experiences, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I think, I think it's absolutely right. But it gets really tricky, and and this is the hard part, is is trying to separate or tease apart your own personal, probably very limited anecdotal experience against the broader one, and also whether asking it is the main driver as to the the customer's choice. Mm, So another really good example might be something like SAP, like SAP and Oracle, the big enterprise software uh, companies, phenomenally profitable, great case studies, definitely look into it if you can. But, but the experience for SAP customers is awful. It's always over, the implementations are always over budget. They go for ages. Once they've got their foot in the door, you're kind of always getting them back to fix and adjust something. And, and, and yet people will, will continually go there. So it is, I guess what I'm saying is, is to use that as, uh, that as an example, mm. is that there've been, there've been situations where you can have a, 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 a company can offer poor customer experience, but still make insane amounts of money just because they have those competitive advantages advantages or moats or whatever whatever you want to call them. So so what am I saying? I'm saying definitely look at it. I think it's definitely a positive. Um, but but also acknowledge that there are other dynamics in play and try and take a holistic view of as much as you possibly can. Mm. I, guess, I think it's a really important a really important approach. I yeah, I can't, I'm kind of somewhere in between the two. You know, I think the question really probably to ask is how likely is this to be the average experience and to what degree am I the average customer? Mm. So I had a mate who would never invest in Carlton United Breweries back when that was listed because he didn't like VB. Mm. And I respect his choice in beers and I respect his choice in investing, but it kind of missed the point that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of other Australians love VB. Mm. And so it's kind of one of those things where, you know, now... Obviously, at the same time, craft beer has taken off. And if he'd said, look, I think craft beer's got a better future because I see a better upside, so I'm buying shares in that, 
I actually also respect that. But mm. that's kind of where the, that's going to be going to be a little bit mindful of. And Lockie's, I think, open to this is you know where is what is the experience I'm having? How likely is it to be representative? How likely is it to actually impact the overall business case a, as a rule? Right. So um, uh, similarly, right. I'm not I'm not a cosmetics customer. Uh, my experience is not very relevant there. Um, equally, I'm a you know not quite a boomer, but I'm not a young kid these days. If I don't like TikTok, you know what? There's probably a decent chance that I'm not the average customer. So my customer experience mm-hmm. of TikTok of you know short videos, annoying, stupid people dancing. Apologies to those who are TikTok fans listening now. Um, I don't get TikTok. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to. So the, my customer experience of TikTok is awful, right? Mm-hmm. Now I will say with Lockie, I'm, I'm a Kogan shareholder, as our listeners will truly know, and I'm, I'm going to just say that because I I will say from Lockie's perspective. The reality is these are these guys are a mass market retailer hoping to have really lots of really really great experience so you keep coming back and so mm. honestly if you've had two bad experiences that might suggest to you hey there's something else going on here and I think that's a so in this case I actually would put more store in this because as long, unless you're maybe you're in a regional area or maybe you've got a bad postie that's the other thing right it's like think about you know why am I why am I having a bad experience is it is it is it common to Kogan generally is it a general experience or by the way I've had not actually my, my local post is great. In past places I've lived, um, the posts were terrible, and so it was mm. you know was it Australia Post? Probably not even really. That was Kogan, no, or whichever other company was delivering. Just the post, it was a knucklehead. And so mm. it was kind of you know if, if I'd have said online doesn't work or you know this is never going to take off because people don't get good deliveries or whatever, um, I'd have I'd, you know I would have had a real problem with it. So have a think about the extent to which you think your experience is likely to be common. Check some, the old scuttlebutt method. See if there are other people having the same problem. But also don't forget that you might be the exception to the rule or the business model actually might allow for that kind of outcome. I'll, I'll tell you something that no one's going to be surprised by here. The Motley Fool's marketing is not loved by everybody. You know? and, <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, in a perfect world, we could market differently and have a better result. The reality is for all people who don't like our marketing, plenty of people are responding to it and our business is growing nicely. Now, am I, am I arguing the means justify the end or the end justify the means? Not necessarily. No, I'm just making the point that you can say, some people have said to me, I don't like your marketing. I'm like, cool, no worries. You should do it differently. Cool. We've tried. It doesn't work. This one works best. And so, you know, it just again, it's just, just by, by example, using a, a personal example or a company example of just where the experience of the individual or even, even some of the negative parts of the experience, if the rest of the experience is worthwhile or if the experience is playing out in a profitable way for the company, aren't necessarily... So this is a, a, a nuanced answer, Lockie, not a, very, not a very satisfying one probably. But you know, you, the challenge is to work out how representative your experience is of other people's experience and to what, experience, what extent that impacts on people's desire to use the company on an ongoing basis. Did you follow the Twitter storm uh, surrounding oh, Harvey Norman during the week? You would love that. Oh, You're a hater from it. way back. I was shouting Freuding all over the place, my friend. It was, it was. So for those that don't know, um, Harvey Norman, like like all retailers, has a Twitter account. It's basically sort of ostensibly used for customer service and feedback and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And you know, no matter who you are or what you're doing, you're always going to get a few trolls and stuff on there. But but like the the corporate response was really not that great and not that well, well thought through. And like the customer experience was dreadful. It's a case study on yeah. you know you can imagine PR agency saying like, this is what not to do kind of stuff. Here's a business whose profits and their net per share profits are up sixty percent mm-hmm. in the last five years. So it's it, it that that's that's the hard part of this question yeah. because yeah. To, just to go full circle, I think it I think it really it is a signal. It is indicative. Mm-hmm. It is helpful. Mm-hmm. It is useful. But it's 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 hard to tease that apart. And there's plenty of there's plenty of exceptions to the rule. 
I just to finish my thoughts. I I love that point you just made. So uh, you help me clarify my thinking, which I'll add to this one and then move on. Um, I think you use it as a reason to pay more attention. If I have a great experience with a, with a retailer or a terrible experience, retail in this case, for example, I should pay more attention to that and look out for other possibilities that this is a common experience. And probably, quite honestly, mm. as much as we all want to move hourly, daily, minute by minute, week by week, I take the experience into the next lot of set of results for a company. Mm. If I go to a if I go to Westfield and I have a great experience with this brand new retailer, and then I look at their their financials and the, and the sales are going up, I'm like, you know what? I'm there in spades. If I have a great experience and sales aren't moving, okay, maybe it's just me. I think you can you can use the crowd, right? So Kogan, mm. if sales keep growing, well, okay, either other people aren't having the same experience, or they are, but don't care enough to stop shopping there. That again gives you the answer. So yeah. you know, we all like to be ahead of the crowd. We all like to jump in ahead and say, oh, this thing's happening. I'll sell now before everyone else does, or I'll buy now before everyone else does. And if you're right, you can make some money, but you, you can't really know well whether that's a, whether that's the same experience other people are having. So I think I would probably take that experience and go, right, I'm going to use this as a bit of a leading indicator and just mm. check when the numbers come out whether or not this, is, this experience seems to be being replicated by others based on the company's own results. Because as you say, if, if, you know, if your experience is terrible, everyone else is loving it, that's how you work out whether to listen to your own mind. It probably just it reminds you to check. It reminds me a bit of... Uh Glassdoor re- reviews. So for those that yeah. don't know, Glassdoor is a review site where f- mm. employees and former employees can rate the workplace where they where they used to be. And it's an interesting signal. I've noticed more and more on Strawman and just elsewhere, people people do sort of go, when they're researching a company, they'll mm. go there to sort of see what people who've worked there say about it. Mm. And, mm. The inter- and, and you kind of think, well, geez, that makes a lot of sense. Like if someone's in there going, oh my God, these guys are all crooks. I hated it. They didn't know what mm. they were doing. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. The culture was horrible. Like that's, that's actually a valuable signal. But at the same time, when you, when you start doing it, and I kind of went down this rabbit hole a bit, you tend to find that every company has that, particularly once you get to a certain size. It is inevitable that you're going to get the yeah. disgruntled employee, um, yeah. and and even the very um, like you you often talk about like the tech companies in Silicon Valley where you know there's there's no you don't have to wear a suit, you use beanbags there, they give you you know it's, it just it seems great, but even there you'll find people who think oh this is awful, this is like this is like work, working for the Nazis kind of thing. So it's it's one of those things that I think does make a great deal of sense, but geez, you you've got to. It's not a black and white thing, and it is. It, it it sometimes can be really hard to sort of again separate the signal from the noise. Value stocks, market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We got a question from Percy. Uh, now this is a specific one about Treasury wine estates, but I'll, I'll get your thoughts as well, Andrew. Hi Scott, I would love to hear your thoughts on Treasury wine estates' latest announcement. That's it. Um, you're, you've been following the Treasury story, Andrew? Not closely. I I don't like the business. If I'm being cool. honest, I don't. Well, let me let me clarify that because that's a very broad statement to say. All, all, all I'm saying is is that I actually think it's a wonderful business. Again, like you, you you can look at again at a wider context than what's just happened recently. They've they've grown mm. their earnings really well over time. They mm. get you mm. know pr- pretty decent returns for shareholders. It's just that it, it's in a it, the, the structure of its business, the type of industry that it's in. We were talking before about the importance of of real pricing power and yep. competitive advantages and, that, and they've got their degree of that. It's just not a strong enough of a degree across a big enough things for me and I find better alternatives. So it's not one that I watch particularly closely. I, I, do you know what their recent announcement was? Can you elaborate on that? Uh, so basically it was the, it was the increase of the upgraded guidance based on success they're having around Europe and the US in particular. Um, 
rather than the kind of concerns I've had from China. So the, the, the change, of course, was... In, <laughs> I think we've said before, it's amazing what happens when um, companies are forced to actually start paying attention to, to underperforming sectors, right? So when China's going through the roof, the US is struggling. They're kind of going to fix it, I suppose, at some point. Maybe they'll get around to it, maybe they won't. They'll try and do something about it. The US business has been a real laggard for them. And Europe wasn't great. Australia was a great cash cow and China was the growth engine. Uh, they get knocked out of China. They say, oh, we might have to start paying some attention to <laughs> Europe and the US. Funnily enough, they do. And sales recover. Um, I don't actually bag them for it. It's, it's a reminder that even a relatively simple business like Treasury, we're only really with geography. It's not like complex product lines, just literally different geography, right? Mm. Um, when management are not paying as much attention, it just doesn't, you know, it, it's just easier for things not to go. It's just, you know, there's only so many times. It's one of those things, you know, can you walk and chew gum? Yes. But how many things can you really prioritize? Like we said, we've got 115 focuses this month. So no, no, you don't. You have one or two mm. focuses maximum. You can't, you can't focus on 115 things, right? So the whole idea of, of, you know, be able to focus on on the US and China, US and Europe. Sorry, fix those problems because of China. Um, that's kind of that was to end up working for Treasury. So the, num- the, num- the upgrades are good. Happy to see it. Um, the I think the results will be patchy. They'll be a bit up and down, bit volatile because there's you know going to be competitive reaction in the US as well, particularly for the, for Treasury's um, recovery. Um, I don't think uh, you, we, you mentioned management a little while ago, maybe last week. I think. Um, about you know just being careful about who's you know having, having a competent manager because it's, it's the economics that matter more or the, in this, the wind in the mm-hmm. sails in this case um, you know it's also true that you know competition doesn't go away just because you want it to <laughs> you know if, mm-hmm. if you're selling wine yeah. and you're, you're a CEO you can't kind of just all of a sudden go oh maybe we should sell more of it and then just do that right without, without, a, without a competitive response or a customer response so the whole it's like I, you know what tra- tangent time tangent warning we should have a flash okay. a beacon or a sign or something <laughs> word, word. I, I, I love sport right when, and and the, but the the continual sacking of coaches drives me slightly nuts. There's mm. going to be so many games played. There's let's take um, NRL right, eight games played around, twenty two rounds, hundred and seventy six games a year. Someone's going to win or lose each one of those games. The net result is the net result, and someone's going to win more of them, and someone's going to win less of them because that has to happen. By well, unless they're all draws or forfeited, that has to happen, right? There's going to be someone who wins more of those games than someone else. Ditching the coach because the coach is the problem when the other coach probably just won more games or had better players. Like it's it's a it's a zero sum game by definition, mm. and and Chris and the coach is not being good enough that somehow if you were better then everyone else would be worse. And so it just it just drives me a little bit, a little bit bananas. The expectation that somehow you can all win. You know, all the clubs want to win, and if we're not winning, we're the, we've got a problem. Maybe you do, or maybe that club's just better, and that's kind of just because that's the way it is, right? I'm never going to be the tallest bloke in the room, no matter what I do. I could kill the other tall people and be the tallest bloke in the mm. room, but mm. uh, you know. Th- but there's going to be distribution by definition. Mm. Am I am I wrong there? No, no. I, I yeah. I, I think. Uh, you seem amused. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, you just you've got me thinking. Because on one hand, I mean, yeah. But so, does the coach have an influence on the outcome? Well, yeah, definitely mm. they do. But I guess that's yeah. the point, right? It's it's just it, it it's not the only factor. And, and this well, is it's a relative game, though, right? If someone wins, someone else yeah. loses. So, is it really is it, is the coach doing really really well or winning the games really doing that much better than the guy who loses? If you swap mm. coaches in the same clubs, you know, so we take the, the Roosters coach and put him in charge of Cronulla, the Cronulla coach and put him in charge of the Roosters. Maybe it changes the outcome, maybe it doesn't. But then does, does the losing coach all of a sudden become the worst coach in the world? You made that point exactly about management. It's like, are they, are they a great coach? They have influence. Yes, they do, absolutely. But someone's got to win, someone's got to lose by definition. So all you're really I, saying is you're slightly better than average or slightly less, worse than average. It doesn't make you good or bad. It just means the guy you're playing against is better or you're worse on this particular day. I don't know. It just drives me a bit bananas. So, so what you've hit upon there is actually something I, I find really 
fundamental to my whole investing mm. approach, which is that there there are certain games on the market that are, are more close to a zero sum game, yeah, right. and there are others that are positive sum games. And so, yeah. what I'm talking about that is so let's talk about. Yeah. A, I know we always go with the same examples, but they're just familiar and they're they're. Mm, um, mm. They tell the story well. So, mm. uh, whether it's the major banks or, or Coles and Woolies, like mm. th- there is there there is potential for more sites to be opened up, and they are opening up more sites. But pretty much the market is the market, and yep. they and now with some others, Aldi and that coming into it, they're, they're carving it up. So when Coles wins quote unquote in a particular quarter or year. Right, right. That yes, is exactly. that is gonna yeah. come at the expense of Woolies, yep. right? <laughs> and and so when I said but it comes back to what I said before about Treasury One, is this mm, fine, mm. perfectly fine business. I got no great problem with it. But high level I kind of think it kind of operates in a clo- closer to a zero sum game where for they mm-hmm. for them to mm-hmm. win others have to lose. And so yep. it, it just becomes a harder game. <laughs> right. Contrast this with something that is a more of a uh, an emerging market where there's structural mm-hmm. shifts under play. Where whatever, yeah, there's a thousand examples recently, but you know, we, we talked before about we touched on cloud computing. Mm-hmm. That that as a sector is worth I don't know what it is. It's worth X billion dollars today. In 2035, yeah. it'll be 10x, right? So so there's actually there's games in there that you can play where you don't even have to be the winner. But to, to still do yeah. Yeah. To, to do really well. So just to, I, we've gone on so many different tangents here, but to sort of try and bring <laughs> bring that back, I, I, I kind of think that is that is one thing to yeah. ponder on with your investments yeah. is that are you playing a zero sum game or are you playing a positive sum game or more? They're not black and white, but are you closer to one end of the spectrum than the other? It's it's really valuable. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Anyway, so my point was just that you know, in, in back to about four tangents ago, uh, or before we started the tangents, the you know the, the US business they'll, they'll try and they'll try and win in, in the US. The competitors there don't want to lose sales, so they'll fight back, of course. And you know, it's it's always going to be that conversation and that that reality. Um, so you know, is is it a positive? Yes, absolutely. I'm pretty happy that they've managed to find sales growth there. They've certainly got plenty of inventory to sell. Um, I, I do I do take a slightly different view to you, Andrew, just in the sense that I think they do have some pricing power and they've demonstrated that. Um, it's a fu- it was smart to go premium. It was really smart for them to go premium. Or well, focus well, the thing on is, because pre- yeah. your cost of production's moderately more, and your yep. price is multiple. Right, you can expand your margins by convincing someone instead of buying, yep. you spend ten dollars to make a fifteen dollar wine, or you spend twenty dollars to make a hundred dollar wine. Mm. And then <laughs> that's pretty clear, right? It's a pretty as long as you can convince someone to pay a hundred dollars, which is the challenge. They've done a really good job. It's a it's a smart thing to do. It, it's worth it's worth thinking about that kind of you know the, the interplay of of. ROE and ROI and returns on investment and equity and stuff like that just to make sure you're mm. making money because with wine you've got you to leave it for a period of time so the carrying cost is huge yeah. you can't make enough margin it, it, the dollar per unit cost or price matters a whole lot you can't sort of break down the percentages because you've got to keep a bottle in a you know on a shelf or some wine in a cask for an extended period of time the more you can sell that for at the other end of the, of the process it's a much better outcome and you can hopefully um, do, do a little bit better and make some more money by doing it that way yep Mate, have you followed Newix? A little bit. It's come up on Strawman uh, so, a few times. Yeah. Jason has a question. He says, Hi, Scott and Andrew. Jason here, a long-time podcast listener. My hashtag mailbag, I like that question, is what the heck is going on with Newix? So much hype, he says, coming out of the IPO, and then it seems like bad news followed by more bad news. Uh, there was a market release on the 17th of May uh, defending their long-term prospects, but while also confirming the ex-chairman is still a consultant, has sent shares down a further 10%. I'm a shareholder of Newix following the January Extreme Opportunities recommendation. I'm just wondering, what is your take on the recent events and forecast downgrades? And what are your long-term views for Newix? Love the podcast and full on. Thanks, Jason. That's very kind. Um, do you want to go first on Newix? 
Uh, no, you go first. All right. So, <laughs> yours. Nuix is a software company that provides AI tools for kind of data interrogation, largely for things like security agencies and where, where information tracking and potential information risk is important. And I, if, you, if you can describe more technically, make feel free, but that's where I'm going to stop. Um, it has a yep, huge number of really prestigious clients. Uh, the CIA, I believe, is a client of the FBI or both. I can't remember which. Um, a whole lot of big companies. Basically, where looking for patterns in data that highlight wrongdoing is important. That's kind of what they're, they're trying to do. This is a business that was um, founded by, by the now ex-chairman. It was basically incubated inside Macquarie and then it was spun off into its own own business and IPO'd either this year or late last year. So that's, that's where it's gone. Now, because of, and we talked about trends before, mate. One thing, look, up front, I'll flag this one. If you buy a company that is relying, or not relying, that has experienced a whole lot of investor sentiment in one direction or another, you need to know your share price is going to be super volatile and super exposed to potential changes. Basically, UX was a business that had a lot of, has, still has a lot of promise, huge amount of promise. Um, but investors had loved the hell out of this thing so much that there was a lot of sentiment, a lot of expectation, a lot of, um, a lot of the valuation basically assumed that things would go really, really well for a really long time. Mm. And whenever you have that situation, you just need to know that your margin of safety, something we talk about regularly, not very often with growth companies, but you, know, the, the, you don't have much in the way of cushioning to fall back on. And if and when something goes wrong, and if and when a couple of things go wrong, your share price is going to get punished and punished badly. Now, mm. I will get to Newark in a minute, but it's, it's important to set the scene because this is important for a whole lot of reasons, right? The first thing is, does that make it bad? Well, not really, because Amazon's had a sky-high PE of 1,000 for 25 years. And during that time, it's gone from $9 to 3,000 bucks. I own shares, I've said many times. I'll say it every time because it's important. But my apologies to those who are sick of me saying it. Um, it went from nine dollars to $3,000, right? All the while having a PE that was a, a four-figure PE that people said wasn't sustainable and had a lot of expectation in it. And the share price was super, super volatile during that journey. So it didn't go in a straight line from nine to 3,000. It went up and down, up and down, and by big amounts, right? Huge amounts from time to time because sentiment was driving the value. They couldn't say we are on 13 times earnings and those earnings are growing at 25%. And so every year the PE stayed at 13 and the price went up 25% in line with earnings. It never, never did that. And so you have to acknowledge in those circumstances, it kind of goes back to the question we had about brain chip the other day, mate. Um, when you get those questions, they are the questions that are, you know, it, it is pure sentiment in the short term because you can't mm. fundamentally, um, obviously you can value it, but you can't say, well, it is worth 13 times earnings and it's trading currently at 12 times earnings or 14 times earnings. So there is, you know, a small amount of upside downside. This is like, this business, you know, Amazon, could be massive in 2035. And if it is, it's probably worth $7,000 a share. But maybe it's not because maybe Walmart picks up or the international you know, sales get hard or whatever and maybe sales and profit fall and maybe it's worth $1,000 a share. And because you can't know in that massive, massive range, the shares will be volatile whenever the mood changes in the, in the, the market. Whenever the crowd changes its mind, runs from one side mm. of the ship to the other, you're going to see the ship list backwards and forwards Because to use the torch of the metaphor because the ballast is not that strong. The ballast being the earnings or the, the fundamental performance is not that strong. And so the movement of the passengers on the top running from side to side are going to matter. I say all that as a, as a story for, for Newix, right? Because the shares are moving around based on sentiment. The, the, since this question came through, Andrew, the other day we had a, uh, another announcement, further announcement was the third one, where they basically said, hey, guess what? Our profits are going to be exactly the same, as we said. Revenue's going to be down a little bit, a little bit. Shares fell mm. 18%, 18%. And that was the rats deserting the, the ship. Now, maybe the ship mm. sinks, maybe it doesn't. 
But there was nothing in that announcement that justified, even close to, justified an 18% fall in share price. It was the sentiment change of, okay, I've finally had enough stuff and I'm out of here and I'll sell mm. at any price. Now, I'm not saying they're, they're wrong to leave. If the, if the business goes broke subsequently, I don't think it will, but if it does, um, then yes, it's, it's worth less. And so you should get out at whatever price you can and save some capital. But the odds that it was worth X dollars before the announcement and then suddenly 18% less the minute after, is, it's just nonsensical. It's not possible for that to be true. Uh, so it does, it just shows you the size of the sentiment sh- swing that's in it. Now, I'm going to say, I don't know the question. I don't know the business very well. It's not my sort of investment business. I don't tend to buy high PE tech businesses as a matter of course. Um, not because I don't think they're, they're likely, but Andrew, you made the point the other day. I, do, I just don't have a strong view, a strong ability to judge the future of Newark. I just, I don't, I don't have that mm, confidence, right? Yeah. W- yeah. Well, I was going to say, I did have a quick squeeze at the prospectus when it came yeah. out. And it's a really compelling story. It, it is one of those things that a lot of it goes over my head in terms of what they do and what their value proposition <laughs> is. But man, there's some really pretty charts in there. It wasn't mm-hmm. all hype. They sort of like, here, we've, we've actually, we're a business. I mean, their, their revenue was just up like a beautiful staircase. Mm-hmm. It looked really great. They had some nice prospective guidance in there. So yeah, lofty valuations and, and the rest of it. Um, but... Uh, for me, there's just too many clouds over it. So the former CEO is, is has there's legal proceedings there about he didn't get enough shares. Yeah. There's ASICs having a look into them, like they did yeah. some allegedly dodgy things if the accounts and overclaiming mm-hmm. R and D and dressing up <laughs> forecasts and doing yeah. all of this yeah. kind of stuff. And so there's yeah. you know, and, and I'm not to sort of say where there's smoke, there's fire. There, there definitely mm-hmm. that's not always the case, but. It just adds a layer of, of um, uncertainty Correct. on all yep. of this. So all the stuff that you've said is true and now all this other stuff is kind of happening. It's like, I, I, it would be, it'd be different if I just knew their service offering and, um, and right, their right, right. potential really well. And I thought, look, this is, this is definitely bad news, but they're still going to be a much yep. bigger company and this is a great chance. I just, I can't answer that. And if, yeah. it, if some of these allegations turn out to be uh, uh, true or, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. life's too short. It's, it's, uh, and here's the other thing. A lot of people... Um, will be in this case not necessarily the listener who wrote the question but it's sort of like mm. you might have bought for all of the right reasons and mm. and but for whatever reason things are, are different now so if mm. if as we always say if you wouldn't buy today you shouldn't hold today so don't yep. it, it sucks to sort of sell and, and take a loss but if and I'm not <laughs> saying that you should I'm just yeah. saying if that's if that's yeah. a conclusion you've reached you know just get the hell out take it on the chin put the money you, you put the money elsewhere in a, in a better proposition mm. I so here's I kind of agree, mate, with the exception that and again, know yourself as an investor, right? But if Newix is gonna be worth something in future and it's fallen seventy five percent since its highs, hmm. we may well look back on this. So remember Bellamy's almost went broke when it had to redo the renegotiated yeah. milk supply deal? Yeah. It's yeah. not unreason- in, in a different universe it went broke. So I'm not saying Bellamy's yep. was always gonna be successful. Mm. But what I would say is there are sometimes Buffett talks about quality businesses on the operating table. Newix doesn't yeah. qualify as a quality business. It's only just listed. It may be a quality business objectively, but subjectively, given the tools we have and the ability we have to be able to tell these things at this point, we can't know. So I'm not mm. making that argument, but I am saying to some degree that often the time to buy some of these businesses are when the market hates them. Mm. So just, just, just and I'm probably just doing the devil's advocate thing for the sake of it, but you know, there are times when you say, you know what, this is so beaten down, so badly unloved, so, you know, miserably hated. You know what? The sentiment I just talked about wouldn't take much for that sentiment to turn around. Not, not instantly. I'm not talking about daily or weekly or monthly return, recovery. I'm just saying, if this is a good business 
and it, and it is worth the, the previous prices once they get the, the ship righted again. Mm. This could be a this could be a massive bargain opportunity, right? So again, not saying it is, not saying you should buy it, um, but it's one of those ones worth having a look at. I don't honestly have a strong view, unfortunately, Jason. I, I just I, I don't I don't follow the company closely enough to, to know what's going on. But it's um just just one of those things that I think is, you know, it, it's a it's a question worth. Um, it's a question worth asking and, and it's the right kind of, you know, question of what's, what's going on. And to end point, if you don't know, you don't like it and you're not sure, you don't have a strong... If you're going to buy a turnaround business, buy one because you know what's going on, by the way. You, you almost need to know more about it when it's been trashed than when it hasn't because you need to know, you know, the market might be right. The market's right more often than not, right? So while we talk about the inefficient markets and markets being wrong and those things are absolutely true... Is the market wrong all that often? I don't know. That's that's that's, that's a hard. It's usually, that's usually a, pretty good. Yeah. Right, and so you kind of you know if you're betting against it. Now the times when it's most likely to be wrong are when it's most emotional. By the way, so again, I'll mm. I'll talk out about some of my mouth here, but it is one of those things where I just, you know, just just keep it keep an eye on and make sure it's a um make sure it's a business worth buying. All right. There's also two. There's also just very quickly. There's also two situations where the, things can be objectively bad, so the outlook is deteriorated, but the value has improved. Yes, so, right. so just reading exactly. their thirty, yes, yes, their thirty-one right. May market announcement, they've re- they had this very ambitious uh, guidance mm-hmm. range. They were saying pro forma revenue is going to be one hundred and eighty to one hundred and eighty-five million, yep. and they've come out and said, "Listen, we didn't get some of the upsell potential, so now it's going to be one hundred and seventy-three to one hundred and eighty-two. So that's, that's a downgrade. You know, market hates downgrades. There's always a big reaction. Though, right? like, to it's that. not a massive downgrade either, is it? So here's the thing: in a perfectly rational world, the correction of the share price would have been in proportion mm. to that downgrade. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, and not even to the full extent because it's value is predicated on the cash flows that go way out to infinity so it's it's yep. it, it, you right. know it, if you were saying i'm buying this because they're going to get 180 million dollars in revenue in fy21 yep. and oh they got 173 instead it's like well the quantum was basically still right you know you yeah exactly that, that, yeah. that's not like oh this thing's going going to zero so it, mm-hmm. it, again per, this is just playing devil's advocate here but at pure face mm-hmm. value you can the, the the news has been bad the reaction has been far worse and that that's actually mm-hmm. despite you now having a company that's not quite as good as you thought the value proposition might be better mm-hmm. For me, though, there's too many other dark clouds around it. Just it's a little bit spicy. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Let's move on. This is a, this is a this part question. Well, he does, it is a question, so I'll ask the question. Will says, can you add a five-minute section to the end of the special mailbag episodes? Will you read a few five-star reviews? I'm sure it would encourage more people to give you the five stars you deserve. Andrew, I'm a man of the people. We are here <laughs> to serve our members, our listeners. So just because, just, just for the sheer fun of it i i opened up the itunes page now i'm i i'm gonna go back and check this because i'm not entirely sure will what's not your second name is it or your brother is your brother will nope is there a nope. will nope. see no no because i because i go to our reviews and i think okay that's a good I'll, I'll do that for will sure and the first bloody one i get is one wrapping you which hey, can't hey. be true so i read I, that I, one the reviews fake or the emails planted i'm not sure which but <laughs> but because will asked i will phil says welcome back andrew page is the heading. Scott Phillips and Andrew Page are a great combo. This is a perfect podcast for new and old investors alike. Andrew Page's return to the podcast has reinvigorated my enjoyment of this podcast. His answers are well-considered, awesome. thoughtful, and relevant to a new investor like me. I think he must have got us confused, mate. He must be talking about me. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it happens. Anyway, it hashtag happens. full on, says Phil. That's one we got. Thanks, uh, another Phil. one we got from Penquark. Enjoying the podcast. Thanks so much, Andrew and Scott. I really enjoy listening to your opinions and enthusiasm. Mutley Macca says, love this podcast. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. I learn something every time. Cheers, Macca. 
we've got another one. Uh, five stars. Fantastic to see the sage back on the pod. <laughs> swear to God. Mum's so been busy. A, the sage back <laughs> on the podcast, he says. Five stars. Man. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how we go. Um, <laughs> great investor of my time, says Agent 86. I love the, love the handle. This is a really excellent podcast. Entertaining, easy to listen to, and contains a lot of useful information that helps me improve as an investor. A truly wonderful resource. Thank you. So there you go. Thank you for everyone who um, has has spent the time leaving us five stars. A couple of one-star reviews just quietly. And you know what the problem with reviews is? They say, Andrew Leggett, one of our colleagues, was telling me the other day, never read the reviews on YouTube because it just doesn't go well. And uh, maybe that should be true for this one too. Read uh, out one Ropar of the bad did, ones. Ropar gave us one star and said, too much waffle. Too much That's waffle, fair. I'm afraid. Leaving a lot less time for the content. Fair. Fair. If, you, if, you, if you're looking for a five-minute podcast, don't listen to this one. We have a chat. It's what we do. Mm-hmm. It's all fun. Mm-hmm. Anyway, plenty of five-star. Here's one from Dave. Best Aussie investment podcast going. These guys know their stuff. Educational entertaining by far the best Aussie podcast going. Full on. That's from Dave GT. Thanks, Dave. Give us, an, give us another one-star while, while we're going oh, That was a five-star. That was a five-star. No, give, us, give us a one-star. Oh, are you sure? Oh, yeah. Here we go. This, 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 is, this is one aimed squarely it's at me. It's how Laz. we grow, my friend. Laz838 says, Full off, Scott. Too much <laughs> rambling. The most irritating part of this podcast here is Scott's fake laugh every 13 seconds. <laughs> Needs to be more direct and informative. Hey, guys, we don't need you to be our friends and we don't care about which team you support. We only need you to talk stocks and investments. Sorry, Laz. It's, it's not, not entirely unfair. No, but you know. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If like, we're not exactly not we're not exactly uh, selling something to, other than what we're delivering, right? This is what we mm-hmm. do. This is how we do it. If you don't like it, that's cool. Let us know because we, we actually do appreciate knowing. But yeah. kind of this is the this is the podcast, right? This is kind of what we do. So <laughs> there you go. If, if you look for something else, you don't get it. It's like you know, it's like going to a country music festival and wondering why there's no bloody good jazz being played. It's like eh, it's not really that sort of place. <laughs> so there you go. If you're if you're after jazz, this is not the place for you. I'm sure no, for Andrew, that's not the place for country music either, but it is the place for hopefully some fun banter and a bit of chat about stocks. And if we don't help, look, you know what? We chat about, if, you, if you're not listening, to the, if you want a 15-minute one, go somewhere else. Uh, Stock of the week, by the way, listen to that, because that's not about 15 minutes. Um, in the yeah. meantime, though, if we, we, we chat because we chat, and hopefully you're enjoying mm-hmm. it. And fantastic. Thank you, everyone, as much as I don't believe these are actually legitimate. I think they're probably planted by you. But thank you to everyone who's, uh, who's welcomed Graham back to the podcast. I, I'm yeah, loving having really you back cool. on, mate. It's lots and lots thank of fun. You. Thank you. Great to be here. Good man. That's all we've got time for, mate. It's time for us to go. We've, we've shared the reviews as Will asked at the end of the podcast. We did what we said. We, we're, we're, I said we're men of the people. What can I say? Mm-hmm. If you do like the podcast, though, do do what Will did. Do what others did if you don't mind, clearly Muttley Macker and others. Grab us, uh, give us five stars or as many stars as you think we deserve. If we deserve less, that's fair enough too. Although we would appreciate you letting us know what it is that you're looking for that we don't deliver. Um, you know, I don't, watch, I don't watch the Kardashians either. There's a, there's a reason for that. Uh, if you do like it, make sure you do subscribe to the podcast. Use uh, iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app. I use Pocket Casts, by the way, or the Listener app, available on all the platforms from Southern Cross Australia. Leave us a review, leave us some ratings if you wouldn't mind. As we always say, it helps us get up the charts. Podcast charts are a weird thing, Ram. Have you mm. noticed that? So I was yeah. thinking of Southern Cross Australia. It's not, it's, you know, the old days of the, the good old top 40, mate, when you and I got, did you get the paper ones from the record shop? No. Used to that. Oh, no. So every, when I was in high school, we used to we get off the train, walk past the record shop that actually sold records and cassettes. That's how old I am. And uh, they had a printed out ARIA Top 40 chart on the counter. And you go in and you get a copy of it, take it home, and it's singles on the front, albums on the back. Oh, Those maybe, the yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those were the days. Anyway, um, 
Yes, yeah, so back in the day, that, that was just like the top selling albums got the top spot, right? Podcast mm. charts are weird. It's interest and referrals and all sorts of fun stuff. Anyway, part of what gets us to the top of the charts and helps other people find us is if we get ratings and reviews. Uh, so that's the ecosystem. That's the algorithm. So if you could help us out, that'd be much appreciated. Please send us more questions. I'm almost going on holidays, but you've got a little bit of time to get some questions in. So hit us up on the usuals, info at fool.com.au, on Twitter and Instagram at tmfscottp and at the themotleyfoolau. Hit Ram up Sage underscore Simeon on Twitter or on Twitter also Strawman Invest. Jump onto Facebook, The Motley Fool, a, uh, Motley Fool Australia, I should say, Motley Fool Australia, or Scott Phillips Money, or jump on the YouTube channel if you want to. Uh, again, I don't know who would actually want to see me in the flesh, but if you do, if, if, you're, mm-hmm. if you're that way inclined and God help you, um, you can go to our YouTube, just search Motley Fool Australia on YouTube and you'll find our YouTube channel there. Mate, that's it. You come back next week. That's a wrap. Yeah, let's do it all again. See you then with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Waffle on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.